Take your Bibles, of course, this morning, and we're going to go to Philippians chapter 2. Copy of God's Word, Philippians chapter 2. I've just simply, sometimes I try to work on a creative title. I couldn't find a better one than this. I just call this Exalted. Exalted. This is the backside of humility, folks. We are a part of the upside-down kingdom. God says, you want to have financial stability? Give. What does the world say? You want to have financial stability? Hoard. Save it. Yep. My father-in-law used to say, get all you can, can all you get, and sit on a can. That's, that's, and it makes worldly kingdom sense, doesn't it? God says, no, you, you give your way into stability. Um, the world says that the way up is to push others down and promote yourself. The kingdom says the way up is down. See, because the scriptures tell us six different times in the New Testament specifically that when you humble yourself, God takes care of exalting you. And what I want to remind you, and I'm reminding myself as we open this today, is that um, Paul's whole point here is using Jesus as the ultimate example of what humility with, in the flesh looks like. And we can, we can do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus did it, we can do it. And, and, and he said, here, look where Jesus started and where he ended up. But look where God took him as a result of that humble obedience. So that's kind of the payoff section today. So we're going to look at our text today, beginning there in Philippians chapter 2. It'll come up here on the screen. And follow along with me. We're going to start back in verse 5, where Paul says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And let me just say there, I'm training myself, and I encourage you to join me. Whenever you see that word Christ, I want you, this is what I'm doing, and I want to be careful here because it sounds like I'm changing Scripture. I'm actually not. I'm being more accurate with it. When a first century Jew saw the word Christ, you know what they thought? They thought king. King. The anointed one, which is the word Messiah, literally means king. So when I'm, I'm training my brain to see Christ Jesus as King Jesus, does that make sense? We would do well because that word king has a little bit, a different kind of a weight to us. We've gotten used to the word Christ and nobody really knows what it means. King we know. And that's literally what these first century Christians would think when they saw that title. And that's what it is. All right, so verse number six there. Who, this is King Jesus, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Again, his humility. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So that's, that's the bottom, isn't it, folks? You don't get any lower than death on a cross. Now verse 9, which will be our text today. Therefore, 
God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess. Notice what the confession is. That Jesus Christ, that Jesus the King is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the exaltation that is the result of humbling yourself. And Paul is going to, isn't it interesting that Paul gives them the backside of humility too? Right? He could have just talked about how humble Jesus was. He came from here all the way to the point of death on a cross. You can't get any lower. Now go do that. And he doesn't. <laughs> because there's the flip side of that is, and it's a principle all over Scripture. When you humble yourself, God exalts you. Because listen to the, here's the principle behind that. God cannot exalt pride or a prideful person. How many of you, I'm just curious, how many of you have had opportunity in the last couple of weeks to live, to, 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 to be, I'm going to use this word, I'm going to be safer, to be confronted with opportunities to practice this type of humility? I'll tell you what, I don't, I don't know, maybe my wife can help me, I don't remember a sermon or passage of scripture that that we either I've taught or sat under that has lived in our home so thoroughly as this one in the last couple of weeks. Um, I don't know. It, I, I can't get away from it. And it's a mirror, isn't it? The word of God, the law of the Lord is a mirror. And we look into it, right? And the problem with this mirror is it's, it's pretty accurate. And we don't always like what we see. And it reveals often our pride. Man, how hard it is to say no to the flesh. I don't know if you realize this, but last Sunday in the church calendar, uh, last Sunday was Ascension Sunday. And that's the Sunday that we've set aside to remember um, the ascension of Jesus 40 days after his resurrection. Um, nobody talks about that one, right? And we should. And really, this sermon probably would have been better preached last week because it would have hit on that. But this is literally the ascension of Christ. With that ascension is his exaltation. By the way, today in the church calendar is, the, is Pentecost, uh, the, the, the day of the coming of the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. So, uh, as I said, this message might have been better preached last week as it finds Jesus at his humble lowest point, dead on a cross, and now follows the upward trajectory of his exaltation. And the whole point of this section is that King Jesus is our example of what voluntary humility looks like, and we can be assured that God will lift us up just as sure as he exalted King Jesus. But here's the, here's the crux, folks. That takes real faith, doesn't it? That's what I'm learning poorly this week. Do you know how much faith it takes to go lower? 
when, when, when you're not necessarily even wrong, or even when you are wrong. Do you know how much faith it takes? All right, God, you know, I'm saying that I go low, and it's your job to, for your glory, not mine, get me out of the way. That takes a boatload of faith that has to come from somewhere outside of you. Can anybody agree with that today? Man, it is something else. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a few minutes this morning. And we're going to ask a few questions about our king's upward journey to the throne of the universe. And sometimes I like to do it this way. It's just to simplify a text by just asking some questions. You'll remember this graphic from last week. Um, it talks about the humiliation of Christ where you know, he emptied himself. Pour, by pouring himself into humanity and literally became one of us down to the lowest point at the bottom, which is his crucifixion. But then he's exalted. And here is the upward exaltation of a humble Christ. Um, and he, and he, he actually ends up back where he started, but with something more, which is, which is interesting. So let's, let's just ask our questions today. In your outline this morning, you'll you'll be able to follow along and see if we can answer these. The first question is why. It's just the question, why? Notice in, your, in our text today, it says, therefore, in verse 9. By the way, whenever you come across the word therefore in the scripture, you should stop and find out what it is there for, right? It literally means this. It means for this reason. For what reason? Well, whatever's about to happen... This exalting of, this, of Jesus is a direct result of what just happened. His voluntary, humble obedience. And remember, Paul is using his, the humility of Christ as an example of humility for these Philippian believers and by way of application for you and I. Right? Are you all still there with me on that? <coughs> so this is the reason... Jesus is being exalted because he humbled himself voluntarily to the lowest of the low point that could be experienced in the entire human experience. You could not get any lower than where he voluntarily went. And because of all of that, for all of that, for this reason, we see the what. And that is it. Therefore, he says, um, God also has highly exalted him. So two things happen here. There's this highly exalted, and then he does that how, kind of a YBH, how does he highly exalt him? He gives him a name that's above every name. So first of all, that word highly exalted, it's an interesting word in the original language, and it begins with a prefix, huper, um, and in Greek, huper always means a superlative amount. So literally, it, it, it's not that just that he exalts Jesus and gives him this great position. That word literally means, as I put it up there, super exalted. So he is exalted to the highest of the high. There is no, there's no position higher in the universe than what Jesus is exalted to by the Father himself. It's a super exalted positions. Well, how did he do that? That's the second thing. He gives them this name that is above 
every name. Now, isn't that interesting? This, it, this is a parallelism here. Super exalted, and I'm going to tag this name onto you that is above every name. Now, a little bit of question about that. Um, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this, but I want you to give me the benefit of the doubt and then go check it out for yourself and see if I'm wrong. Don't ever believe a word I say. You won't have a lot of preachers tell you that. I tell you that all the time. You go check it out for yourself. So I'm going to give you my opinion. That and five bucks to get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks this afternoon. But here's my opinion. I don't think this name is the name of Jesus. It kind of feels that way because of how the English translation works. In the Greek translation, it, it becomes a lot more obvious that, that the, the, what, the name that's been given is actually the name Lord, Kurios. That's the, that's the name that is above every name. Because literally, the word kurios means the name above every name. It's literally, it's, it's no higher than this. It's top dog. It's the highest of the high. So I really believe that, that that's what it's, it's, it's referring to here. Now, Jesus didn't exalt himself, although he could have. <coughs> but instead, the Father exalts him and puts a stamp of approval on Jesus' death as a satisfactory penalty for our sins. And look at what Peter, how Peter proclaimed that very hard, uncomfortable truth to the Jewish Sanhedrin. And jot this down, Acts chapter 5, verse 30 and 31. It'll come up here on the screen. Uh, Acts chapter 5, here's what he says. Peter's preaching here and he says, the God, and he's, he's talking before the religious leaders of the Jews, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus. Here's an exaltation. Now notice what he says. He's kind of sticking his finger in their eye. Whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. That's pretty gutsy. Now I want to put a pin in that for a second and say, check this out. Just a smidge, just a little bit earlier, just a few weeks earlier, that same Peter is hiding in a locked upper room, scared to death to be identify with Jesus. Now he's standing before the very people he was scared of and he's putting his finger in their face and saying, God raised him from the dead and you murdered him. What happened? The Holy Spirit's what happened. That's exactly right. They be, he became empowered with the Holy Spirit because Acts chapter 2 becomes before Acts chapter 5. Right? It's great stuff here. Now notice how Peter continues. Him, talking about King Jesus, him God has exalted where, church? To his right hand to be prince and savior to give repentance to Israel and a forgiveness of sins. Men did not exalt Jesus. Matter of fact, all they did was insult him, didn't they? Uh, they jeered and they spit on him and they called him horrible names. But here we see the Father gives Jesus the name above all names, the name Lord. Now, this is interesting. That name Lord is equivalent to the Old Testament name of God, Yahweh. That's a big deal. That name was so sacred that the Hebrews wouldn't even pronounce it. As a matter of fact, when they were reading the Scripture and came to Yahweh... They would read out loud, not Yahweh, they would change it with another word, Adonai. Because they wouldn't even let the, the most holy word Yahweh come out of their mouth. And Adonai means Lord. 
Jesus is Lord literally means Jesus is Yahweh, the eternal God. And that's exactly what Paul means, and it becomes obvious when you compare that verse in Philippians um, 2.9 with this verse. Jot it down. Isaiah 45, 22 and 23. Now remember, Isaiah is in what testament? Old or new? That's old. This is pre-Jesus. You with me? It's important you understand that. Think about these words, giving them a name which is above every name. Listen to this. Turn to me, Isaiah says, and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself. The word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back. Look at this. That to me, this is God talking, Jehovah. That to me, every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Given a name which above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Whether things in heaven, on earth, or under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is King and Master to the glory of God the Father. So who, to whom are these knees going to bow? To God. And citing these verses, Paul is no Old Testament slouch. Paul says that every knee will bow to Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus is Yahweh, the Lord. He is the equivalent and by the way, I want you to know something. There were Christians living at that very time who were actually persecuted as atheists because they placed their loyalties above those that were considered owed to the state and defied Caesar. The cry of the heathen populace in the Roman Empire against the Christians was this. This is what they said when they brought them in to be torn by these wild beasts and murdered. They would say this, they would chant, away with the atheists, away with the atheists, to the lions with the Christians. Why? Because they would acknowledge no other Lord but Jesus. I've told you this before. When, when Rome would conquer a, a people, they would go to the capital and they would put a sign up that says there's no other name whereby you must be saved except the name of Caesar. Caesar is Lord. These first century Christians were not murdered in the games because they said Jesus is God. Because Rome was very patient with that. You could say my dog is God, no problem. It's because they said Jesus is Lord. And only Caesar is Lord. What had, they were literally put to death because they said Jesus is higher than Caesar. And they refused to burn a little bit of incense and say Caesar is Lord. You don't even have to, and they even said, you don't have to mean it. You just have to do it. And they said, nope, we're, we can't do that. We cannot maintain our integrity and do that. And they were persecuted. Here's the example. One of my favorite characters in... Uh, um, Church history is a guy named Polycarp. Y'all ever heard of Polycarp? Go home, do a gur gurgle suit. Did I say that? I, I, God help me. I'll tell you what, my, my tongue is messed up today. A gur I can't say it. Go search Polycarp when you get home. But here's an example. He was the bishop or the pastor of Smyrna in the second century. 
And now as Polycarp was, being, was entering the stadium, there came a voice from heaven saying, Be strong and show thyself a man, O Polycarp. No one saw who it was that spoke to him, but those of our brethren who were present heard the voice. So these are other believers heard that voice. Um, it goes on to say, and, and as he was brought forward, the tumult became great when they heard that Polycarp was taken. He was, um, people loved him. He was very, very old at this time, as you're going to see. And when he came near, the proconsul asked him whether he was Polycarp. And on confessing that he was, the proconsul sought to persuade him to deny uh, Christ, saying, here's what they said to him, have respect to your old age and other similar things according to their custom. Such as, they said, swear by the fortune of Caesar, repent, and say, away with the atheists. In other words, away with the Christians. But Polycarp, gazing with a stern countenance on all the multitude of the wicked heathen, then in the stadium, listen to this, waving and waving his hands towards the crowd, while with groans he looked up to heaven and said, away with the atheists. He was talking about them. And saying this, and saying, swear, and I will set thee at liberty. Reproach Christ. And Polycarp declared, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? The proconsul then said to him, I have wild beasts at hand. I will, and to these I will cast thee, except thou repent. But he answered, Call them then, for we are not accustomed to repent of what is good in order to adopt that which is evil. Woo! And it is well for me to be changed from what is evil to what is righteous. But again the proconsul said to him, I will cause thee to be consumed by fire, seeing thou despisest the wild beasts, if thou wilt not repent. But Polycarp said, Thou threatenest me with fire which burneth for an hour, and after a little is extinguished. But you are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment of the eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. So why tarriest thou bring forth what thou wilt? <laughs> Woo! That's a guy who understood... King Jesus is master. And you know what they did? They brought forth the fire. It is said by these very witnesses in that stadium that day that the guy, the fire burned and Polycarp would not die. He appeared to be untouched in the flames until finally somebody ran him through with a spear because he would not die. Isn't that something? That's the name that's above every name. So what about the who and the where? Um, that next screen, if you would. The who and the where. We see this in the next verse. Is it not in there? Okay. The Bible says that every knee will bow. And where is that knee going to bow? Uh, of things in heaven, things on earth, and things under the earth. <laughs> and we find that in verse 10. 
things on, in, on earth, in heaven, and under the earth. Well, what is that? L listen to this. It is every realm, every realm that created beings can exist. Created beings exist on earth. We're here now. Created beings exist in heaven. That's where the angels are. And where the uh, redeemed who have died in Christ are. And created beings uh, exist under the earth. And that is a way of saying in the realm of the dead, in judgment. And that would be the fallen angels and people who have gone into eternity outside, outside of Christ. And then he says, every tongue will confess or admit or worship, or exalt, or bow to the name of King Jesus as the Master. And what does Jesus say to us today? In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He's, your, he's our Savior. Because He is, He loves us. And He invites us to come to Him. He gave Himself for us. And today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow is the day of judgment. Why do we put it off? So let me summarize this whole passage and what it's teaching us about Jesus, our King. Number one, what He was. He was fully and completely God. He was truly God, completely God. Number two, what He became. He became a man, a true man, while maintaining his deity. Truly God and truly man. What did he choose? He chose the path of humility, going lower. To die a humiliating death on the cross. He went as low as a human being could voluntarily choose to go. That's Paul's example of humility. But did he stay there? No. What did he gain? He gained the highest place and the greatest name of universal honor. Does that make sense this morning? And this is all an example. This is the Jesus of the Bible. This is the Jesus we worship today. This is the Jesus that we call our rescuer and our king and, yes, our master. This is the true Christ of the Christian faith. And we started with why. I suppose we could end with why. To what end? Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Look at this. That Jesus, the King, is Master. He is Lord. To what end? To the glory of the Father. God the Father. It's all about the Father. Now don't forget that this entire text, this section, which was an early church hymn, matter of fact, they sung it when they had communion. So it's appropriate, I guess, that we're dealing with this song, this first century song. Because it would have been sung by those early congregations as they broke the bread and passed the wine. But the application for us today is that this is all given to encourage us, to encourage us to enter into the humility of Christ. Stop thinking so much about you. Voluntarily lay yourself down. Reminds me of a story um, I actually heard with one of my favorite hunters. Um, I watch a lot of these videos and 
follow the stories of these guys that get to do things I'd like to do, but have neither the time nor the resources to do. And one of the things I've always wanted to do is, is to, to go wild sheep hunting way up in the mountains in Alaska. And I read an account there. First of all, I think those, those wild sheep have glue on their hooves. The, how, they, how they don't fall. I mean, they'll walk on these little, little just narrow, narrow cliffs hundreds of feet down. And they never fall. And they, were, they, were, they, they saw this, this uh, big ram was a, was a trophy, and they were following it. And it's a very, very, very difficult thing to do. And he was coming around. They could see he was coming around on this extremely, just a sliver of a rock, just one foot over the other. And, but they could also see on the other side coming towards him was a younger male, a younger ram, and they could see that there was a gap between the ledges, and there was no room for one to walk around the other. And they wonder what's going to happen when these two meet. Only one of them can get by. What would you think would happen? Obviously, you think the bigger one would knock the younger one off and go about his business, right? So they watched in curiosity to see what was going to happen. And what they saw amazed them. They never saw it coming. They said when, when those two rams met up and realized their situation, the older ram stretched out across the gap and stretched his body out in such a way and allowed the younger ram to walk over him and get to the other side. That's humility. No demands, just going low. And that's what Jesus did. Supposedly, they were so impressed, they ceased chasing that animal and said, that one deserves to live. That's what Jesus did. That's our example. And the next time you're lifted up with pride, even, even if you're right, it's harder when you're right. You might be totally right. Remember my mom used to tell me when I was a young and experienced driver, she was getting on me about my driving. And she was right. And she was, something had happened, it was a, a, a right away issue and I had to right away. And this person didn't yield, that ever happened to you? And I guess I developed those bad habits, Jay, very young in my driving, we were talking about that in our groups. And um, I pushed myself out there, and it, it was close. And she was getting after me, and I said, but Mom, I was right. I was in the right, and I'll never forget what she told me. She said, you can be right, son, but you can also be dead right. Mom, I never forgot that. You can be right, but you can be dead right. How many of you know you being right leads to so much mess in your life because Satan uses it as a door. Because I'm right, I'm going to exalt myself in front of all of you and make you bow to my rightness. And you're right, but you're wrong. You're dead right. We need to go low. We need to be humble. And that is what this lesson is to teach us.
Jesus went to the cross out of love and obedience. So we're going to recognize that here in just a minute. Obedience to the Father and love for the Father that he might gain the glory. All the glory back to the Father. And he did it secondarily out of his love for you and I. But I want you to always understand, Jesus going to that cross was about him and his dad. You and I were just the reason that sent him there. Say, so why you got to say it like that? Because we're so filled up with pride. We're so prideful. This thing is legit a gift. It is such a gift. And so the Father exalts him because of his great love for us. And if we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand, as Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 6, he'll exalt us in due time. You know what due time is? I don't know, but I know, I know when it's not. <laughs> it's not when you want to be exalted. <laughs> Anyone say amen to that? It's not when you're right and you can beat everybody up with your rightness. That's not the time that God's going to exalt you. God's going to exalt you when you swallow that and, and you go low. And you are the example of this righteous life. 2,000 years ago, a man was born contrary to the laws of science and life. He lived in poverty. He was raised in obscurity. He was a child of a peasant woman and worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never owned a home, never wrote a book. He never held public office. He never went to college. He never set foot in a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place he was born. He possessed none of the usual traits that accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. In his infancy, he startled a king. In childhood, he puzzled doctors. In manhood, he ruled the course of nature, walked on the waves as if on pavement, and he hushed the sea to sleep with one word. He healed the multitudes without medicine and made no charge for his service. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies, and he went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed on a cross between two thieves, and while he was dying, his executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth, his coat. And when he was dead, he was taken down and laid in somebody else's tomb. Twenty centuries have come and gone. And today, that man is the centerpiece of the human race and the leader of the column of progress. He never wrote a book, yet no library could hold all the books written about him. He never wrote a song, and yet he has furnished the theme for more songs than all the songwriters combined. He never founded a college, but all the schools put together cannot boast of having as many students as he does. 
He never marshaled an army, nor drafted a soldier, nor fired a gun. And yet no leader ever led more volunteers who, under his orders, have made more rebels stack arms and surrender without a shot fired. He never practiced psychiatry, yet he healed more broken hearts than all the doctors far and near. How broad is his influence? All history is divided by his coming. B.C. and A.D. We call this year 2022 in honor of his birth. The names of past leaders have been long forgotten. The great men of Rome and, our, and Greece are dusty names in the library of time. Scientists, philosophers, kings, generals, theologians have come and gone. But the name of this man abounds more and more. Though time has spread 2,000 years between the people of this generation and the scene of that crucifixion, yet he still lives. Herod could not destroy him. And the grave could not hold him. He stands alone as the highest pinnacle of heavenly glory proclaimed by God, acknowledged by angels, adored by saints, and feared by devils. As the living personal Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, and the Savior of this world. This is the Christ of the Bible. This is the Jesus we worship. This is the true Christ of the Christian faith. The one in whom we have believed. He and He alone is Lord and Savior. Millions of Christians unite this very hour in worshiping Him on every nation, on every continent of this world. From India to Australia to Belgium to Nigeria to New Guinea, Pakistan, Costa Rica, Turkey, Israel, China, Japan, Paraguay, and even here in the United States of America. He and He alone is the Lord. And all oh, that our hearts would sing His praise. God hasten the day that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here's the last question in closing today is, is this. It's a statement first. You will bow. That's not a question, folks. You will confess. That is not an option. That, folks, is an indisputable fact. It's going to happen. The only question is, when will you bow? When will you confess? Because you're going to. And you know, that thought warms us when we think of evil men. Good. One day Hitler's going to bow. One day Hitler's going to have to say, you are the king and master of the universe. Well, what about you? Will you bow and confess as one of the redeemed or one of the rejected? Will he be your judge? Or your justifier. 
The Bible says now is the accepted time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. It's a matter of who you're going to be in relation to him. And you know what, folks? That hadn't changed since the day he died and resurrected. That's one thing that hadn't changed over all these years since he ascended to the right hand of his father. He's the king. More than that, he's the Lord, the kurios, the sovereign owner and master above all kings and rulers and authority. All of creation will bow to him one day. All of creation will confess that indisputable fact. That exalted king. And it's because of his humility. So two points. Two questions today. Will you use his example and go low? And will you not bow today and confess today? You say, preacher, what's that really look like? like? What do you really want me to do right now as you go to close this thing out and pray? It's exactly that. I want you just to say, to, to acknowledge him as the king, your king, the owner, master of your life. I'm not my own. I have tried to do me and I'm doing a horrible job and all I can do is sin. And Jesus, I need you. I need you to be the master of my life, the owner, the king. I turn away from who I was and all that sin. And I want to I I receive you as my king, as my master, as my rescuer. The Bible says when we do that, he places us into himself. And he becomes exactly what we ask, our king and our master and our rescuer. That's literally what his name means. That's what I want you to do. We're going to pray, and as we do, before I pray, it's going to be just a quiet time. I want you and God to talk. We're going to open these elements in a minute that are designed for people who have done exactly what I've just asked you to do. But let's ask God, are we ready for that? Is that for me? How's my humility? Where are we on the pride scale? And do you own me? Let's take a minute and talk to God about those very things.